Hello and welcome to another episode of The Selfish Podcast. Today's guest is Daisy Page, who I'm really excited to share her story and her attitude most of all, because she's a shining lady that I heard on another podcast uh, by Kyle Yates and found her presence just joyful, but her story inspirational and just full of courage, just her entire life. You'd have to check out that in-depth interview, but we're going to get into some bits here and hear more of her story. So thank you for being here, Daisy. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Can you just share with myself in the audience, where in the world are you? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, Luke. I appreciate you um, taking the time and bringing me on your show today. And I'm here in the United States and instead of Texas, not too far from Kyle, actually. Mm, nice. I think Texas might be my, I think Texas and Chicago seem to be my number one guests that I get the most from. It may, I have to check. Maybe Texas is winning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Texas um, is pretty big, so. Yeah. yeah, I've never been to the States, but I really do want to see it one day, especially Texas. It's flat in most places <laughs> and hot <laughs> yeah well, i'm over here in spain so i'm quite used to the heat now so we'll see and what i like to do with my guests to get to know them a bit more is i like to hear a little bit about their childhood and what life was like pre 10 years old can you tell me a little bit like where you grew up and how was your life when you was that young sure um actually in my hometown where i grew up um I went to church every Sunday and Wednesday. My mom was a a pianist, so I got to hang around while they had choir practice and you know, run around and roll around under, underneath the pews. And um, but I became a Christian about the age of eight. And by the time I was, I'd say nine and a half, I knew the Bible from the front to the end already and um, participated in state Bible drills in one second place. Went to church camp every summer, and before I could go to church camp, I participated in every vacation Bible school I could. You know, I loved, just, church was my, ex, ex, uh, ex, my extra activity, you know. Oh, nice. And how was school life? Did you like school or not as much? Not as much as church. <laughs> But I mean, I had I had a few friends, so it was nice to go to school and see them. And uh, but I just found school kind of boring, not as interesting as church. I couldn't wait to get home and do my Bible studies when I got home every afternoon. I had my own Bible study in my room. Nice, yeah, it's impressive that you read front to back and the whole thing in such a young age. What what did you find at that age was so appealing about it? for you what what was it what was do you remember the first thing that you found so intriguing that made you just want to even start to read it yes we had this bible that sat on our um living room coffee table and it was about that thick you know and it had pictures of all all through way through it with each story in the bible you know and i was just intrigued with all the pictures in the book and it made me want to learn more about it and so for Christmas one year, I think I was like seven, maybe. I had it somewhere, but it's packed up. I got a children's Bible that zipped up and it had my name on the front of it. And it had pictures in it as well. And so, um, yeah, that's what started my interest in it. And then, of course, Sunday school at church. You know, I always loved going to Sunday school. 
Yeah, nice. It's, it's different from when I grew up. It was about eight years old when I sort of lost my religion sort of belief system because I was only loosely brought up in um sort of Catholic, maybe. And this is the thing I even to this day, I'm not sure. I think it was Catholic because I remember my brother having a communion. I don't think Christians have that. But when I was older, I was told it was Christian. And even myself started to look back and go, no, but we had communion and certain things I'm sure were Catholic. But it was my nan was from Ireland and she brought that with her. But when she passed, that sort of faded out. But I also had like childhood traumas and things that just made me question it. And it wasn't until later in life that I rediscovered, say, just what I was missing from what I would call faith and being present and just a different, totally different way of living and feeling that I missed for a lot of my life. So it's interesting from such a young age for me that you were sort of drawn into it. Did you find that you felt like, I'm trying to think of the best word, not support, but like encouragement from being a part of that community? I did. And I could already, um, you know, you hear God not in your head or your ears. You hear him with your heart. And I could already hear God talk to me at at such an early age. And I remember getting baptized at church. That, that was a really neat experience. I think when you're Catholic, you just get the uh, oil or just barely you know, get oil on your head, right? Do you remember that? I don't remember. I think, no, I don't remember it happening to me. I think it might have happened when I was really young. I did okay. get, I did get not for my own choice, but I was getting married to someone that was uh, Christian and quite a, uh, her family were very sort of not demanding, but uh, respect to them. I went and got a full dunking baptized where they dip, they oh, dropped me back in a full pool. That, that that's where they did it at our church. Yeah, yes. that was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. And then we had what you call, instead of communion, it was the Lord's Supper, where you'd get a little glass of grape juice and a little cracker which was the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. I do remember that. I think something about that was appealing when you're little. I think it's because you're given something as well. When I was little, I remember going up then being in a queue to get a little, it was a little real circular disc. Yes. And then, and then um, they said a little sip of grape juice. The adults got wine, I think. <laughs> and that was the Catholic Baptist just do the, the grape juice. But since... Um, I've become ill. I've been kind of a converting Catholic. Um, But the thing about it is when you're terminally ill, you don't have to lose your other religion. You can keep it and become Catholic too. So that way you kind of get a double religion, something else to fall back on to help your faith. So. So, yeah, so for the audience to know, you, they mentioned you're currently terminally ill. That's why I'm so extra appreciative. But it's not how I introduce you because I don't think you are your illness. Uh, that's not your identity. You know, that's something that your body's going through. Can you just explain to the audience how, what, what is this terminal illness that you have? And how did it come to you? It's, it's MSA. Um, it's called multisystem atrophy. It's really rare that only one out of every 25,000 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with it, or four out of every 100,000 is what we read. Um, What it is is it's 
a rare degenerative um, neurological disorder that affects all of your autonomic functions, you know, like your circulatory system, your um, respiratory system, digestive system, things like that. And so, um, in a sense, your body forgets to breathe or you might have a blood pressure. Sometimes mine will go down as low as like 62 over 53, you know, really, really low. And when you get that low, you will pass out or, you know, lose consciousness. And uh, that can be kind of scary when you come, you, you just see or think it can kind of, in a dark tunnel and then you're out and you wake up and all these people are around you and you're like, whoa, what happened here? <laughs> but that's happened a couple of times. Now. Just when you're standing up though and, you know, or coming from a lying position to sitting up position sometimes. Yeah, it seems like you say when that extra bit of energy, when the heart's meant to pump a bit harder, yours is struggling to do so for more simple movements. But there's two different types of it. There's a, MSAP, which is MSA Parkinsonism, and then there's an MSAC, which is an MSA cerebellar, and I have the MSAP. Um, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's first, so, um, and that's what happens with the steroid disorder. Um, most people do get diagnosed with Parkinson's, but um, my Parkinsonism What's, what got us to first notice it? I would uh, become uncoordinated and fall over my own feet sometimes or drop things or just kind of have tremors or shakes, you know. Um, and the neurologist gave me a couple of different medicines to try for Parkinson's and it didn't work. So he uh, sent me to a, a what they call a movement disorder specialist. And they're the ones that are more um, knowledgeable of this MSA condition. And he took five minutes visiting with me and said, uh, you don't have Parkinson's. What you have is MSA. And I was like, well, can you fix me? And he said, unfortunately not. Um, there's no cure. We don't know any much about it. So we haven't come up with a cure for it yet. There is always clinical trials, but unfortunately, at my last visit in September, my doctor told me that I was too far along to um, be a part of the clinical trial. So how, how long ago was it when you first heard that and they said it's not Parkinson's, but it's MSA? Um, it was last July, so in 2021, not, not very long ago, actually. But I've had the symptoms since 2018, and um, the life expectancy is only five to seven years. Yeah, so, if you don't mind, how in that moment, how did you, how did you cope to get to a place? Because like now you're talking about it, and I personally know from other people I've spoke to and myself that when we go through such extreme events, it's almost impossible to say it out loud for a while like to even believe it yourself was there a point where you felt that this can't be what's happening and what was that journey getting to where you are now actually i when he told me i was just kind of numb you know in shock but 
Um, when I saw my husband, I had told him on the phone what it was. I hadn't Googled it. You know, I don't like to Google things like that a lot of the time. You, you get diagnosed with things that you, you think you got. You're like, oh, my gosh, you know. So uh, I told him on the phone what I had because it was with my mom when I got my diagnosis. And uh, whenever I saw my husband, he was really pale as a ghost and just kind of frazzled, you know. And I was like, what's wrong? And he fell to the ground crying, and he said, you only have five to seven years to live. And my mom had to pick him up and say, you know, there's clinical trials, there's things that we can try. This doesn't necessarily mean that for her. And and then it kind of hit me like, what? So I did Google it. What is MSA, you know? And, and I started reading about it. And I thought, oh, my, i got to tell my kids, you know. and um. I, I still have bouts of emotional um, where I do break down and, and cry, you know, and, and sometimes I think, you know, my God, haven't I been through enough already? You know, how can you put me through this too? Or most I think about my, my, my kids, you know, they're grown, they're 27, 28, and 31. But I think... They've been through enough already. They're going to be the ones that have to deal with this. They lost their father in 2016. Um, they lost their their grandpa not long before that. And then they lost their uncle not long before their dad died, their, their, their dad's brother. And then just last year, their dad's sister committed suicide. So they lost. And their grandma before her that lost all these people within a matter of like three years, you know. And then they find out their other aunt has breast cancer, and now mom has this. So you know, I worry about them, how they how they're going to deal with it. Yeah, because they say it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Would be the first word that comes to mind. It's just a lot to take because it's hard enough when one incident like that happens so to have it all compiled so many so in such a short time uh, i think they must be or you can tell me if they're not but do they tell you they they're inspired that you're talking about it and you've even written your book and that you're still um, the fact that you even do it in podcasts my oldest daughter and my son which is the youngest they they're very inspired that i can talk about it this is probably i'd say my 48th podcast so i've talked about it quite a few times and they listen to a few podcasts and they're like well mom you know you're brave to get on and talk about it. you're you're gonna be dying soon you know um and you wrote a book and it, it talks about it in there you know my, actually, my middle child, my youngest daughter, she painted my, my book cover. The second book, she's like, she can't do it, you know. She's kind of, she's different than the um, other two. My son, I haven't seen in a year. He's in the, in the military. But um, he just found out last week he's actually getting stationed about an hour and a half away from me. So mm. he's going to get to be coming home on the weekends and 
visiting with me. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think it's good because that way I can spend as much time with them as possible between now and then. Yeah, nice. And like you said, they're quite grown as well already. So you're not leaving behind children anymore. They're, they're adults. And like, yeah. So I think the, the power of you putting yourself out there, sharing and being vulnerable and talking openly, but remaining you know, with that attitude that, that we can share and connect and that your story can be empowering and inspire others i think we'll leave them a nice imprint in their life a, a beautiful memory of you because a lot of people that suffer even non-terminal conditions that can make them quite bitter or they can resent the fact that they've got it you know it's very easy to to get very angry when we get oh, yeah. given something that we don't want and how would you integrate or how would you say that the faith aspect has if it has aided you in that process of sort of being where you are with it now is that would you say is that a large part um it is having the dreams about um heaven and the visions that i've had of heaven every one of them have given me you know peace and made it made the heaviness a little lighter so to speak um being able to see my my, I say my mom goes to the doctor with me. She's actually my stepmom, but she's my mom. She's raised me since I was a year and a half old, you know, so she's the only mother I've ever known. My real mom died when she was 23 years old. I was only six months old. So um, I got to see her in some of these visions. So that was really nice, too. And I knew it was her. I immediately knew it was, it was her. So getting to know her and i lost a set of twins when i was six and a half months pregnant so i saw them when i was up there visiting and it and they knew who i was and even though it's been you know gosh i, I lost them in 93 so you know it's been a while um since i lost them almost 30 one year or almost 30 years ago and, and know them when i saw them you know um, and my family, and it was just a very exciting adventure, I should say. And I was not ready to come back whenever it was time to leave those visions. Everybody would tell me, "We'll see you soon," you know. My uh, my mother in law she passed away in 2016, and the first vision I had was the night before my husband's um, birthday. And um, she was the last person I saw when I was seeing everybody and hugging everybody. And I turned around and she was standing there with her hand on her hip and she had this little smirk on her face like she would when she was, you know, down here. And um, she said, tell Eugene, I said, happy birthday and I'll see you soon. You know, so, so it's like they're preparing my home for me, so to speak, you know. And then one dream was about a homecoming feast, and there's tables as long as you can see. I mean, as far as you can see, and they're just full of food. And you don't have to eat, you know, obviously in heaven, but you eat for the pleasure of the taste, you know. So all your favorite foods are on this table, and you just eat and eat and eat and eat, not get that overly stuffed feeling like you do during the holidays you know and that was kind of nice getting my grandma's homemade pies that she always made 
for me when she was alive. Have that and taste it again. I could taste it and have in the vision. So that was very comforting. Nice and yeah, it's interesting that you had such clear visions and and moments, especially seeing the different people and stuff, and having that sense that you knew you knew who it was straight away. Like it's just the same as if you was to walk and your son or your daughter walked in the room now you don't have to think like for a second who is that you know you just know yeah that's really uh, interesting and there's people i've only seen in photos you know uh, generations but one side of the table was my mom's side of the family and one side of the table was my dad's side of the family and it went generation after generation after generation you know you you see all these people that i've only seen in photographs it's nice to get to know that part of the family that you never got to know and you're only seen in pictures. Yeah, nice. And I want to find out a little bit more about your book and how your book come to be. But first, I just wanted to hear, um, or to get, just say like a, a thank you to you for sharing and, and being here and telling your story. Like I said, for me, it's inspiring, but it's also motivational because it's showing that someone just continues to be of service despite whatever the obstacle is and to me life's about service and what we serve so the fact that you're doing that in your condition and and still persevering still going on and doing it with joy i can see i can still see the light in your eyes that you're that you're actually present you know despite what everything that's going on and for your husband as well to be there and support you, I had to support my mother most of my life. She was uh, had severe mental illness, so I became her carer. So I've always been the caregiver. My partner, Danielle, she got very, very sick. She had a sudden cardiac arrest, and I became her full-time carer. So I've been there on the other side of where your husband is caring for someone, and she was given a uh, horrendous diagnosis as well. She was given less than five years to live um, before she would have another cardiac arrest. It's actually been oh. eight years now, and she hasn't had one. So she beat the odds. The doctor said 99% chance she'd have another one, and they said she'd never that's, Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, they said she'd never walk again either, and she's walking now. So uh, for her, for what happened to her, it was a miracle. And so I'm grateful for that. But being there and feeling that, I can only resonate with your partner when you feel someone you love has just been told, you know, they're not going to be with you anymore. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible pain. Um, but it's it is. Also, uh, I've been on. I've been on the other side too, and, and I know that it. I think it's probably harder on your side because I've taken care of my um, my ex mother in law um, when she was dying and with cancer, and then I've also taken care of my um, my current husband's grandma when she was dying of cancer. So in those times, I think. And now with my husband taking care of me, you know, I see it as much harder for that person, for the caretaker. Yeah, for me, I found, I realized it took me a while to realize sort of what was making it hard for me is I just never felt I was doing a good enough job. And I was trying my absolute best all the time to be there because you care so much. But something in me, like an inner voice would always be saying like, you can do more you're not good enough do more do more do more you know and it took a while to actually break that pattern within me and be reassure myself and love myself and be like you know what? i'm doing my absolute best and that's all i can do you know because you just want to be able to fix it well i did i just wanted to be able to fix everything and there's just some things you can't you can't take that responsibility in everything but you can try it (laughs) i know that that's where my my husband's feelings come in you know um 
when I first got diagnosed and he first started, he had to quit his job last September because that's when I became 100% dependent on him. Um, but I told him, you didn't sign up for this because we've only been, we've, we've just celebrated our 12th anniversary. So we haven't been married long enough. That's what I say, you know. He says, yeah, I signed up for this when I said my vows. I said in, debt to, in sickness and in health, you know. So I did sign up for it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess you did, didn't you? Yeah. We didn't know what you were signing up for. <laughs> yeah, I had the same conversation with Danielle. And she got to a point where she was almost trying to get rid of me at a point because she could, was going for her own dealings with it. But she didn't want to put the pressure on me. And she's like, it's not your responsibility. You know, you can go live your life and do your thing. And I was like, I've already chose a life with you. So you just got to accept it. I'm here. <laughs> well, I just accepted Last week, as a matter of fact, my husband and I were having a conversation, and I told him that I think writing in the book about it made it not seem as real to me. So I was in the denial, so to speak, you know, and now it's kind of as I'm progressing and having more and more symptoms, it's becoming more real to me. And so... Last week, I just had a breakdown, and I was told him, just put me in a nursing home. You know, I don't want you to have to have to deal with all of this. And he was like, you're not going to nurse home ever. You know, we had a really deep talk about it. So I was like, okay, if you want to put yourself through it, I can't make you not do it, you know. So. You want to be there for the person you love, even if you have to sort of surrender a lot of your own needs, you know, because it's like it's worth it for the person you love to be there for them, um, especially if you're not going to have them. If you're going to be around and they're not, you feel like even if it's a bad, well, for me, it was like even if it gets a lot, lot worse, um, I, I would feel bad if I wasn't there and I wasn't there for the yeah. worst moments. It's like, and time like i said time heals and stuff but i feel the reassurance knowing and for me when someone passes as well it's like i try and think of what it what what did they show what did they shine in my life i see it as like that's the reason they were taken from my life is because i was meant to take something from their experience they're shining something to me what did i love about them and how can i reflect that in my service you know how can i reflect that quality that i must have loved so much and I found that for me yeah. helped get over, like I lost my best friend when, when he was 19, you know, and he was a really smiley, happy guy while I was a really depressed, miserable, angry guy. And it, and like afterwards, I was just like, you know, I've got a shy, he, I loved that about him, that he was so smiley and just always just happy, you know, and he'd always had this big grin and I was always miserable and angry. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I've got to try and teach myself that just to honor him and honor his presence because that was something he showed me you know, so every time i remember yeah. every time i smile now it makes me think of him but in a in like a way that he came here to serve and give me that so i could then give that to someone else that's really awesome i know when i first found out my husband i would lay on the couch and he would make a pallet right beside the couch and he would never leave my side and i'm like i'm not going away anytime soon he's like i'm never i'm not leaving you so he he was afraid to let, even leave my side. Yeah, beautiful. That's and it. I know that my ex-husband, he wouldn't have, when I 
if I would have found out I had this without with him, he was he'd be gone. You know, he he wouldn't have helped me. He wouldn't have taken care of me. Yeah, no, and it was another whole story. But I did hear like I'll put the link to your episode on the Carl Yates uh, the Vibes broadcast because you went on for I think like an hour and a half and really in depth and the stuff you went through with him, the abuse, the the whole journey even from childhood like the stuff that was happening was incredible like your life's been constant sort of perseverance you know of actually just keep going and that's what i wanted to get you on so for those listening who actually there's so much more details that we can't cover in this podcast but i'll put a link in the description so you can go listen and be motivated inspired that no matter what life throws that you can keep moving forward well i mean we can talk about a little of it if you want um well, I want to know about your book. So I, say, I don't want to take oh. all your time, and that's all out there. But what I am interested okay. in, in 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 the book, and what is your book about, and what is why why a book? Why did you decide to put yourself to paper? It's called the Unexpected Moments, and, and I do my love daughter, the cover. It's very nice. Yeah, I did too. It really um, it puts the whole thing. It's my my life. It's my road here my hurdles that I've come over and my windy roads over mountains, bumpy. Then she's got a broken bridge up here that she drew. And then I can finally find my peace and get up here and be with the Heavenly Father. So I love it. It just puts it in my, in my life in one picture, you know. Nice. So the um, book is like a journey of your life, telling the story of it is everything that happened? everything it is um and how the book became is um after my diagnosis i had a vision and like i said you know you hear god with your heart and he told me my child your time is near but you must tell your story from the beginning first i was like okay how am i gonna do that you know i I knew when I was 14, he told me that one day I was going to have a huge testimony for the world. And I'm like, me? What am I going to tell the world, you know? But um, after my diagnosis, my doctor told me, take your life day by day. Do as much as you can while you can, because there's going to become a time that you're not going to be able to. And I want you to enjoy it as much as you possibly can. I said, okay. So I hadn't seen one of my best friends in like 11 years, and she lives in Vermont. We met in upstate New York. Um, So I wanted to go visit with her. And my my husband and I planned to go there last October. And then she came down with the the COVID virus, so we didn't get to go and see her. Um, And we were driving home from my physical therapy one day and in the large church in my town there was a sign that said Kirk Cameron was going to be in town I don't know with you being um, over there you probably don't know who that is no I don't know but I googled his name after I listened to your other podcast to see to see who he was because I didn't recognize the name but yeah he's not I don't think he's as known maybe others do know but I didn't know who he was over here in Europe He's very well known here in the U.S. He's a, now he's a, an evangelist. He travels around the country just telling stories, you know, telling stories about Christ and 
and all. But as a child, he was in a very popular sitcom called um, Growing Pains. Seven years and very much a teenage heartthrob of mine, I should say. And my husband that I'm married to now, we've been friends since I was five years old. So he knows my whole life. And he he knew I really liked Kurt Cameron. So he's like, do you want to go see him since we can't go to Vermont? And I said, yeah. So he said, well, ask your mom if she wants to go with you. And I did. And she said she'd go. So um, I, when I got home, I, I bought VIP tickets and... You got to go early before the show, and you got to get your picture taken with him and ask him questions. And so it was question time, and I raised my hand, um, put it down real quick because I got a little nervous, you know. And this man in the middle of the row, he raised his hand, and when Kurt said, yes, sir, he said, that lady on the end down there, she, and I'm in the wheelchair on the end of the row, she has a question for you. And I was like, he put me on the spot, you know. So Kirk, he says, yes, ma'am. I said, first of all, I just want to know if you're going to have a Savers Growing Pains reunion. And he said, well, we've talked about it, you know. Um, so it may possibly be in the future. And I said, I want you to know that you were my teenage heartthrob. I had your posters all over my bedroom walls. And uh, I asked you, I wrote you a letter and asked you for an autographed picture. And I gave you three months and you never sent me anything back. So I tore all your posters down off my walls. You broke my heart. He said, I'm so sorry. I'll make that up to you tonight. And I was like, okay. Well, after the show, um, you go outside, there's campfires. His shows, um, evangelists are called American Campfires Revival. So, and then there's more music and worshiping. Um, I was there in my wheelchair. My mom, she's a nurse, so she's in her scrub. She didn't have time to go home and change after work, so she's in her nurse out in nurse uniform. And I asked the security guard. I said, "Can you see if Kirk can come sign my autograph my ticket for me?" He said, "Yes, he wants to talk to you." Anyway, so I'll go get him. So Kurt comes over, and the first thing he does is he gets on the ground. He kneels on the ground beside me, and he says, Can I pray for you? And I said, Yes, of course. So he takes both my hands, and he prays for me. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to listen to the prayer, but in my mind, I'm thinking, Kurt Cameron's holding my hands. You know, <laughs> this is Kurt Cameron praying for me. Our hands are like this close to each other, and I was just... Oh, you know. Um. Anyway, he, I had given him a bracelet during pictures of MSH, defeatmsa.org bracelet. And I guess he had Googled it and found that it was terminal. And he said, so what you have is terminal. And I said, yes. And I told him that God wanted me to tell my story. He said, well, how are you planning on doing that? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, maybe you should write a book. And I said, I've never written anything in my life but a poem. He said, you don't write the words. You pray about it. God will give you the words to write. And 
you just here's my email address you keep me updated on your book and um i follow him on facebook he has his campfire revivals on facebook and and every now and then he'll pop me a like i'll i'll comment and he'll pop in in and ask me how's your book going you know things like that but um now after my book was finished he said send me your manuscript and i did and he um he wrote me back a forward and endorsed my book mm-hmm. and i thought that's better than an autograph picture you know <laughs> so that was huge that was very very kind of him and showed how generous and heartwarming of a man and how caring he really is yeah nice that's such a nice story and that's sort of interesting story to how the book actually came to be like you said you didn't have an idea of how you were going to tell the story and and then it just came and it was it did you pray about it as you was writing and just the words just flew out that is exactly what happened and i devoted about two to three hours a day in it you know and i prayed every time i got started i'm like okay god give me the words i needed to write today and i'll tell you some of it was not easy some of it was very difficult to write about, but I've been seeing a um, Christian counselor for about five years now. And uh, every time I would come to a diff- difficult chapter, and I would break down afterwards, you know. The, the next day was our, our talk, you know, our visit. So that really helped me. And it took a weight that had been carrying for so many years and just lifted it so it was very therapeutic Mm, nice and then you're starting a second book how far are you through that and what's that one called that one is a it's actually a short story um it's called beyond heaven's gates and it tells about visions and dreams i had and about heaven but after the visions and the dreams that I have about heaven, there's a part in that that I'm writing in on now to finish up. It's called Unexpected Moments Continue. So mm-hmm. it's like two books in one. <laughs> and the continued part that would just be telling your story from when the last book ended to where to now. Yes. yes. Oh, nice. And you said you're going to try and have that for Christmas, the second one. I'm hoping so. I'm. I'm trying. It's. It's a lot harder. Like I said, you're probably my 47th podcast. Uh, so it's a lot harder. I have more to do now. You know, I have this podcast. Um, I I can't go out and physically tour my book um, mm-hmm. like I would like to. I, I did go to one book signing, but the trip was about eight and a half hours, nine hours from where I live. And it was really hard on me. And uh, the book the book signing was two hours long, and it was fine while I was in the book signing. You know, I guess God helped me get paint so painless, but um, or pain free. But and I had like adrenaline rush because I was able to talk about my book to all these people. You know, and they were coming up and asking me for my autograph, and I was like, oh, they want my autograph. So. Um, I'd sign their book for them when they bought a book. It was really kind of neat, actually, but it was just draining. It was too much. And I figured this way, doing the book tour this way, 
I'm reaching more people. Um, like you're in Spain, you know, mm. I've, I've, I've talked to another lady in Spain. So I've talked to people in Australia, um, the UK. So I'm going all over the world and, mm-hmm. and these podcasts will be around forever. You know, the book will be here forever. So my, my story can continue even after I'm gone. And I think that to me, that's the best part of it. Yeah, nice. And where can people where can people find you if they want to just follow any content you have, or and where can they find your book? Well, I'd say that I'm on Facebook more than any of the other social links. So if you go to Facebook, just look for um, Daisy Page author. So Daisy Page comma author, and you'll see me. I have my my head turned to the back, and I have. My hair's got daisies all in it. My my mom did that for me. So, so that's my signature. So. And um, my book title um, link is in there where you can purchase my book. I would recommend or ask, please purchase it if you want the book in that link. Um, because I do donate to charity some of the proceeds of my book to research the MSA and I get more proceeds if you buy the link buy from my link whether if you bought from Amazon or you know those sorts of links Um, for example if you buy Amazon I get like a dollar a book you know and if you buy from my link I can get up up to like $18 a book so charity gets a lot more money that way so i'll make sure i put that link in the description along with your facebook link so people can go straight through to there and get a copy and find out more about your story like i said i'll also link your other podcast with kyle and i'll have to listen to some of your other ones myself i will check out some of your other stories so many podcasts out there but every time like i've done quite a few myself i don't think i've done 47 of my own interviews yet so well done for doing that but every time you get asked different questions and tell different stories in different yeah. ways, I found and going to different areas. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And I did. And if you don't mind, I would like to uh, read a poem. Oh, I'd love to. It's very, it's, I actually had this poem published 20 years ago. So um, I turned it into a poem contest, poetry contest, and it, it, was, it was published. So. It's called Eternal Love, and it's in my book. But endless days, sleepless nights, as we go through our constant fights, do we really get what we see, or is it totally up to me? Struggling through our trying times, burdened by the price of crimes, truly, as each day ends, know that God's your only friend. As footprints in the sand did say, He really does carry us all the way. Know this, for it is up to you. He already knows what you should do. Find your faith from heaven above, then you will have eternal love. Oh, nice. So fitting, even though it was wrote 20 years ago, so fitting to to you now. I know. It's it's interesting how things kind of just come back, you know, around circle that way. Yeah. (laughs) That's nice. But, Apologies if there's a bit of noise in the background. It just started raining really heavy where I am, but hopefully oh, Mike's wow. not picking it up. Send me some rain. We, we, need, we 
here in our native submarine. Yeah. yeah, we've just had a few, couple of weeks of pretty much non-stop rain here. It's dry all year and then now really heavy. Rainy season, huh? Yeah, but it's mushroom season as well, so getting some nice tasty mushrooms too. <laughs> I'm big. I like mushrooms. My husband, not so much, but. <laughs> and um, if you're interested in what my book is about, it's just about my abuse that I suffered and then how God was always there for me each time during my abuse, you know. I always prayed and he would show himself, you know. He answers your prayers, not only the way you want him to, but sometimes not how you want him to. But he knows what's best, what path you should take, and what door to open for you. And since my book has been published, I've seen some of those doors open. Like my abuser is up on, um, up, he was indicted on charges of sexual misconduct on on his youth group so he became a youth minister mm. in church and was even abusing the, the girls in the class now he's up for charges on that you know and I've seen some other things take place that it's just like wow you know I did what he wanted me to do I wrote the I told my story and it's, I've been sharing it with the world and now he's doing things for me you know and I, I never doubted it mm. I always have my faith, and I guess that's what my story is all about, is keeping my faith where others would have let go long ago, you know, giving up and thought God wasn't with them, but He is. He's always with you. Yes, well, thank you so much for sharing and being yourself and authentic and honest. It's beautiful to hear your story and to feel your your light shining through with your words so thank you for sharing and i look forward to sharing your interview with my audience i have just a few very short little questions i ask every guest at the end of the show do you have a moment for them absolutely yeah. so if you had to choose one a cat or a dog it would be a dog i like my snoopy i have a little toy rat terrier so <laughs> yes what's your favorite color it's turquoise. Nice. And what sound or noise do you love? Um, that would be either the rain or waves from the ocean. Nice. I think water sounds seem to be the number one so far. They went in. That seems to be the most common. People love the sound of water. And uh, what sound or noise do you not love so much? Um, that, I have to say, would be cats. there's a bunch of wild cats around my house and you hear them biting all the time so it's very annoying the fighting is really horrible and then the mating noise is even worse oh gosh yes (laughs) what do you love about yourself oh if you would have asked me that about 10 years ago I wouldn't have been able to answer that at all but now I I have to say my will to do God's will and to to be strong in my just I have will to not do some of the things I did long you know when I was a teenager 
Um, yeah, I got quit smoking two years ago. So just my will. Nice. What do you love to see in other people? I love to see in other people is their motivation to make make some goals or accomplish goals. Nice. And last question. What do you love about animals? This can be pets or animals in nature. Oh man. I could talk all day about my Snoopy. <laughs> he I just he's got this personality like no dog I've ever seen before. He he keeps me laughing. He's just so entertaining. He he's torn his squeaky toy, his little ball to pieces and you know, he's then tore the squeaker out of it where it's just a little piece of rubber flap, but he still goes around carrying that piece of rubber flap around and wants you to throw it. <laughs> He goes, goes to chase it and brings it back to you and drops it and gets down, waits for you to throw it again. I had a dog so fight. But, um, watching him play. Yeah, he would tear the squeak out. Every toy that I'd given him had a squeak. He would, in, in such a quick time as well, he would tear the squeak out, rip the toy to pieces, um, and then give me the squeak. But he didn't want, he didn't want me to throw it. It's like he thought that's what he's meant to do with it. I don't know. My current huh. dog. If I give him a squeaky toy, he doesn't like it. I think he thinks it's a little animal. He tries to, he walks around with it in his mouth, but he doesn't like it being squeaked. He holds it really gently and he won't tear it. He won't oh, protect it. Funny. <laughs> that is funny. Snoopy, he, if he does break off more of his little rubber toy, he'll bring you the little piece he tore off and give it to you. But he's still, the big piece is still what he wants to play with. They can give him any other toy and he won't play with it, but he just loves that. I'm like, when it's all gone, it's going to be gone. <laughs> you know, then what? <laughs> I'll have to go out, or my husband will have to go out and try to find one that was exactly like it so we can start all over again, I guess. <laughs> well, Daisy, it's been beautiful to connect with you and uh, yeah, to just connect and share your story and hear more about you and to feel your presence. So thank you again. I truly appreciate it and I'm grateful to have you on the show. It was a pleasure, Luke. Thank you for having me and helping me spread this to my story. Well, do you keep uh, just keep up the good work and staying strong in faith along your way, and yeah, making a difference and shining your light just as you are. And give your husband a nice big hug. And uh, it sounds like a great man. Yes, he is. I can do it without him. <laughs> and it's, you have a great day. It's been Thank a pleasure too. sharing my story. Thank you. I truly appreciate you for listening to the very end. So if you did, hit the like button, subscribe for more content just like this, and check out patreon.com forward slash Luke Greenheart on how you can support this broadcast, this mission, and my content creation. I am creating compassionate content to share, to love, and to shine. So come check it out.